Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. It's Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am thrilled to welcome Tori Eldridge to the podcast today. Tori is the national best-selling author of the Lily Wong series, The Ninja Daughter, The Ninja's Blade, and The Ninja Betrayed, winner of the 2021 Crimson Scribe Award for Best Book of the Year, 2019 Authors on the Air Award for Best Thriller Book of the Year, and Anthony Lefty and McCavity Awards finalists for Best First Novel. Her shorter works have been published in horror, dystopian, and other literary anthologies, including the inaugural reboot of Weird Tales and her upcoming Missing on Kauai short story in MWA's 2022 anthology Crime Hits Home. Her screenplay The Gift earned a semi-finalist spot for the Academy Nicole Fellowship. Tori introduces another empowered female protagonist, May 24th, in her dark Brazilian novel, Dance Among the Flames. Tori is a proud member of Sisters in Crime, Crime Writers of Color, MWA, HWA, and serves as the ITW Debut Authors Program Coordinator. Welcome to the podcast, Tori. Hey, Julie. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I can't wait to talk about the new thriller and and the books and everything else. But as I always do, um, let's start at the beginning. Um, When did you say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Oh, goodness. Um, That was a couple of decades ago. Um, (laughs) I was writing a screenplay. Actually, I was writing several screenplays, but the the first one I wrote, that's the one that got that Academy nod. And um, everybody who read it was like, oh, my gosh the, you know, the, the prose, the language, you should be writing novels. And, um, I had actually been kind of fiddling around with, with stories prior to that. And I thought, Hmm, yeah, maybe, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could expand this and go back and, you know, fill this out. And, And so that's, that's what got me. And so I actually did write a novel. And that was an early, early, early precursor to dance among the flames um, and I finished it, and I polished it, and I loved it, and I started to submit it, and I went, mm. you know, I, I knew there was this thing called the business of writing, and uh, but I, I really didn't want to learn it, and I wasn't interested in doing it at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had two little boys. I was a full-time mom with projects, and... Um, I had just discovered the martial arts, and uh, that's where I wanted to put my focus. So I stuck it in a closet, and you know, I, I wrote some of the screenplays. But I, I told my husband, I said, if you happen to run into a literary agent, you know, just let me know. <laughs> you know, in, in the meantime, I, I've got stuff to do. And it wasn't until maybe thirteen years later, mm-hmm. um, after the you know fifth degree black belt, after writing a, a nonfiction on empowerment, after you know blogging on mindful living for like a decade, that I just went, I want to get back to writing a novel, and and that's that's how I, you know, I got into it. 
What a great story. Um, so you you learned how to write a novel by writing that first novel, which is is part of the the, the journey with that. Um, but fifth degree, black belt, and life, and everything else. Uh, in the meantime, when you said I want to go back to it, and you'd been writing screenplays, uh, you know, did you take classes? Did you workshop? Like, how did you sort of um, decide to uh, build up the the you know build up the the chops, learn the craft. The chops, yeah, yeah. learn the craft yeah. uh, it, it, for writing the novel. It's interesting. I, I never took a formal course in writing. Um, so much of what I've learned has been from critical reading and analysis. Mm -hmm. um, the screenwriting, for instance, I got into that because my husband switched careers into producing and we had an influx of screenplays and teleplays. And of course, I read so many of them and was uh, giving coverage and things like that. Then when I shifted to writing a novel, I used many of those techniques as mm -hmm. a framework for, uh, for writing, you know, how to structure, mm -hmm. how to pace, how to write uh, with economy uh, and fluidity. And of course, I had been, you know, just one of those popcorn eaten readers, you know, book after book after book, you know, chain readers, right? Um, and, and so language was always just tremendously important to me anyway. Mm -hmm. So when I decided to stop the martial arts career and devote myself entirely to a career um, in fiction uh, as a novelist primarily, um, I used that existing novel as um, the project on which to learn my craft. Because mm -hmm. I picked it up. I, I took it out of the closet and I went, ooh, Ooh, um, huh, <laughs> there's good stuff here. <laughs> um, you know, but then I was really ready, right? I was ready yep. to learn the craft. I was ready to learn the business. And the story was so epic, um, spanning 40 years, three continents, you know, a past wow. history in 1560 France, you know, gods and converging characters. There was so much to it. There were so many ways to tell it that you know how some authors will write several books before they find the one that gets mm -hmm. published? For me, it was exploring all the many ways to write this story yes. that gave me the education. And then I immediately started joining associations. Anything that I could join um, without having a publishing deal. Right. You know, anything that had an mm -hmm. associate membership, I joined. I started going to conferences and I met mentors and incredibly generous authors who were willing to, you know, critique my work and gave me such, you know, master courses uh, in feedback. It, it was astounding. And not not just authors, editors, editors yeah. from big five companies who were like reading versions and versions and giving me notes and, and agents and stuff who didn't even represent me. Uh, I was incredibly lucky, but it was because I was forging those relationships. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got now, my education. 
Well, and, <laughs> and networking is such an important part of this, and we're going to get to the publishing journey. But but was it always going to be crime novels for you, or 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 you know, because you also wrote dystopian and horror, and you know, um, how did you find your way to crime? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was uh, complete happenstance. Um, I've always had this kind of wild imagination ever since I was a kid. You know, I was one of those kids who played make-believe and my Mm -hmm. make-believe was really dramatic and thrilling and, uh, horrifying and, you know, uh, yeah, sure. I played with dolls and stuff a little on the side, but it was more like James Bond or these, you know, incredibly, (laughs) you know, abusive, horrifying situations I had to overcome. I'm so dramatic. Oh my God. So I think that was kind of where I was at. So that first novel, you know, that, you know, later became Dance Among the Flames, that's, that's set in Brazil um, with, Mm -hmm. with gods and elements of horror and dark fantasy and dark fiction and thriller and action and that kind of thing. No crime in there, right? Um, Very mysterious, very suspenseful, but no mystery in a classic sense of the word. Um, and then the book that I started writing after that, um, that is still in progress, that one is set in, in Bali and is even more out there and fantastical. But while I was working on that, I wrote a short story called Call Me Dumpling. And in that, Lily Wong appeared. And as mm-hmm. I wrote this scene, kind of a origin story moment of a modern day ninja, um, I went, oh my gosh, I can, this is part of the novel. I can see it. I know who she's talking to. I know where this is. I know what it could be. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was when I finally started writing what would become the ninja daughter. And I thought, you know, I'm writing a, a thriller, um, a mystery thriller. I had, don't laugh. Okay, don't laugh. But I had, I had not even, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed to say this. I had not even heard the term crime fiction until I got the book deal with Agora Books, which was a diversity-focused crime fiction imprint. And I went, oh, crime fiction. I guess that's what (laughs) I wrote. So there you go. Complete happenstance, just backed into it. (laughs) Well, because Lily showed up in your life and started telling you that she had a story to tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so did you, um, I find this fascinating that you pick such a, first of all, your first novel, which will be your, the one that comes out in late May, um, sounds epic and huge and a lot to undertake as a first time. Yeah, it was was quite overwhelming, like jumping into the middle of an ocean, swim home. (laughs) Because simple is hard enough on that first novel, like just a strain. (laughs) Rom-com is hard enough uh, when you're first learning. Um, uh, And I love that you you explored that. But but tell me a little bit more about Lily and, and that journey, because I, you know, that's, that's, been those are the three books that people know that's right right. so the ninja daughter the ninja's blade and the ninja betrayed yeah you know when i started writing lily um i I had to write it in a completely different way she had a different voice i had a different voice writing her um Mm -hmm. it she had to be in first person it was just that kind of book 
Um, yeah. And it had to be uh, snappier. It had to have that kind of sardonic humor in there, uh, as well as all the emotion, everything. It's got a lot of action, right? So it's very cinematic. It's very, uh, you know, paced in that, mm-hmm. you know, screenwriting way. You know, a lot of snappy dialogue, a lot of, you know, the action is, you know, got that pacing. And, and so it just had a completely, completely different vibe. But at mm-hmm. the same time, again, it started with uh, it, it centered around family and it centered around culture mm-hmm. because her mother is from Hong Kong. Her mother's a Hong Kong immigrant in Los Angeles. Her father was, you know, a Norwegian farmer from North Dakota. There's all that thing, right? And so that's what I wanted to I wanted to show that because I'm Hawaiian Chinese mm-hmm. Norwegian, and. And I love that I'm Hawaiian, Chinese, Norwegian. Um, and, and I wanted to share, you know, part mm-hmm. of that heritage in a way that I think is not always shared, kind of a, a, a celebration, a happy amalgamation and blending yes. rather than being yeah. torn in two directions. And so that yeah. was really important to me. And because, of course, I was, you know, so deeply into the ninja martial arts, I wanted to show authentic what I perceive to be mm-hmm. and what I have experienced to be authentic modern day ninja training and empowerment and this really positive energy that I don't think people usually associate with ninja. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's where she came from. Completely different thing. I, I love the exuberance you have when you're talking about your writing and, and exploring. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the, your process. What is it like for you to, you know, to start a novel? I mean, you know, so the, the ninja series, Lily shows up, but in general, I mean, what's your process like? Um, it generally starts with research. And, and that was even true with Lily, uh, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, because, um, Sometimes, uh, like with The Ninja's Blade, that's the second book, I knew I wanted to do a deep dive into the commercial sex trafficking of women in Los Angeles. Not not of women, Mm -hmm. of girls in Los Angeles, teenagers. And I knew that was a, a a big issue I wanted to tackle, and I kind of hinted on it a little bit in The Ninja Daughter. And so for that book, for instance, I started with months of researching that topic, Mm-hmm. Uh, interviews, uh, accounts, personal accounts, statistics, reports, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And from that appeared all of these characters that would populate the book so that I could show this, this issue through all of these different eyes, through mm-hmm. the eyes of all these different teenage girls who got into this, were lured into this, were, you know, uh, pushed into this in different ways mm-hmm. and what that means. So that was an example of that. Um, with the ninja, with the ninja betrayed, um, I knew I wanted to take Lily to Hong Kong. And I knew that that was going to be, uh, because all of my, my books take place like within these three months. Um, so I knew exactly when she would be in Hong Kong. It would be late September 2019. Well, what was happening late September 2019? You know, the pro-democracy struggle that has Mm -hmm. now exploded and we've seen the results of what China really can do and is doing with uh, Hong Kong. 
And, um, and so I wanted to dive into that, you know, this big thing. And I also knew that Lily was going there because she was going to protect her mother and things were going to get personal. Her mother was the Los Angeles director for her father, grandfather's financial advisory, you know, finance company. So I had to learn about that. What did I know about international finance? Nothing. So I had to do all of this um, research into both the whole pro-democracy timeline, not just what was happening in September, but how it started, where it camped and what what all had gone, you know, and I had to have enough of an understanding of international finance to know how it worked and how it could be subverted. So mm-hmm. it's from those things that I get these I- ideas and that creates a timeline. The other thing about research is family. For me, all of, all of my stories, including Dance Among the Flames, seems to center around family dynamics. Um, that, that seems to be tremendously important to me. And so I'm, I'm looking into heritage, culture, genealogy, mm-hmm. You know, I've got a short mm-hmm. story coming out in Crime Hits Home, uh, Missing on Kauai. And guess what? That That is inspired a novel that I'm writing now. And wow. again, I had to do this incredible genealogy that took me so long to figure out with all of these different ethnic percentages and figuring out, you know, generations in the back and how that was mm-hmm. going to go. I did the same thing for Lily. I did the same thing when I... Um, started writing the fourth Lily Wong book. Uh, I had somebody else's genealogy to go through, several generations, detailed stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I seem to do this for every book. And this is before I start outlining. Wow. And so then from that, you outline uh, <laughs> yeah. before you start? Yeah. 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 You know, I think it comes from the screenwriting thing. Um Yes. Uh, because, you know, that that is a thing. And, you know, the whole note cards, putting things on three by fives and having this idea of what all the scenes are in a screenplay mm-hmm. and being able to move them around and to, to find your pacing and your position and make sure you have not too much in the first act and enough in the second, uh, or in my case, the second and third um, you know, and, and that the, the, the last act is, you know, action packed. And so I do the same thing with novels. Yeah. I I love your screenplay um basis or or the conversation because I think that that must be such an incredibly valuable uh a, a tool to have. Um you know, people say well, it helps with dialogue and and I'm sure it does, but uh anytime I've thought about screenplay, I I find people who write plays and screenplays are uh, incredible because there's no backstory. There's no <laughs> prose. I mean, it's all got to be dialogue or, or pictures, but, but that's really hard to do. Um, so that, do you think that makes you a leaner writer or do you, because you have the ability to have prose in your books that you can't have necessarily in screenplays, does it give you a freedom to really expand things? Gosh, I, I would say all of the above. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the thing I love about screenwriting is, um, I find freedom within structure. I always have, uh, as a dancer, you know, I was dancer mm-hmm. on Broadway, television, film, and a singer and actor, but especially in dance, you, you have to have, um, 
a really strong foundation in skill, right? You've got to have yeah. all of that foundation and craft before you can be free enough to really dance, to be able to move yeah. your body in any way you want, to demand it to jump and leap and spin and turn and do all of these things that you feel you know, emotionally inspired to do, right? Uh, if you don't have all of those techniques under your belt, you're limited in how you can express your emotion, right? I mean, if you can't do a quadruple pirouette, then clearly that's not going to be something that you can express. Right. You will be limited right. to other things. It can right. still be very moving. It just won't be um, as completely free. I felt the same thing as a martial arts uh, practitioner. I, I didn't feel that I had become a martial artist until I had enough craft and foundation and skill under my belt to be able to do whatever I needed to do in the moment to mm -hmm. become part of the flow of the confrontation and fight, direct it where I wanted to go and win in a way that I wanted to win. You need a lot of skill to do something like that. Yes, you do. I, I'm a little rusty. I don't think I could do that right now. But when I was training, I felt like I had that, right? So same thing with writing. Um, when I had, I learned the, the skills to contain myself, my, my writing and storytelling within a very confined structure of screenwriting. Mm -hmm. and, and that forced me to say a whole bunch in a very careful sentence, a very careful description, to express multiple things and subtext within a line of dialogue instead of just a line of dialogue. And so that kind of thing carried over, I think, into novel writing. But what I get in a novel is that, oh, I get to dive into how, you know, what a character is feeling and thinking and, you know, interweave backstory, sometimes even in the middle of a fight, uh, you know, and, and, and bring in all these different perspectives and emotions and things. And, and I really dig that. Um, so it, it, it does all of those things that, that you asked <laughs> Well, I, I love what you just said. I mean, it gave me goosebumps because as a performer and as a martial artist, you have muscle memory, which is which serves you, but you also have sense memories um, that you can recall and that you can use. But, but the metaphor of having to develop those muscles before you can build on them or, or fully use them is such a great one for writing. I, it's just, I, I mean, I, I think that that's just such a terrific way of thinking about it is you need to put in the practice, you need to put in the work um, so that you can excel. Hmm. You're going to be fine if you don't, but in order to excel, it takes, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, it is, it is, it's, uh, it's inspiring work. Yes. It's very yes. fulfilling work. It's very exciting. I, I love rewriting and I love re-envisioning. You know, remember I told you that I had a lot of early mentors and people who were really just so incredibly generous with their feedback and critiquing. And I, and I think perhaps part of the reason 
that so many of them were so generous was perhaps because of my enthusiasm on the receiving end. I was so excited. I'll give you an example. This was with screenwriting. My first attempt at a screenplay was horrendous. I, of course, thought it was magnificent. And um, my, my sister was very close friends with these, you know, big-time writer-producers. They had a hit TV series. And she, you know, pressured this guy into, you know, reading and critiquing. And he did. God bless him, and invited me over to his house and sat me down at his dining room table and spent the next three hours line by line thrashing what I had written. Three hours, three hours. And it was exhilarating because (laughs) I was like furiously writing notes and just like, oh. And um, when I went home, I realized clearly the whole thing had to be chucked. It was just Mm -hmm. unsalvageable. And but what I what I realized was I had to dive into what about Brazil, because this was actually the Brazilian one, what about Brazil truly excited me? And mm-hmm. that's when I what went back to research. And it was from research that I discovered all of this wild spiritualism with African Yoruba and the you know indigenous Brazilian traditions and the Portuguese Catholicism. And I went, oh, that's it. This is the heart of it. So I took all of his advice and I rewrote this thing. And I came back three months later with a completely new screen play and asked if he would read it. And, oh, this poor guy, he did not want, I mean, you know, how much better could it be? Oh my God. It was so horrible. He was just like, he was such a good friend of my sister's. That's the only reason he volunteered. (laughs) He agreed. And, um, I got a call the next night and he said, um, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you've written a really good screenplay. And wow. it came from him thrashing it for three hours. Yeah. And this is not the first incident of that to happen to me. I've been very fortunate to get that kind of feedback from so many people along the way. But you've also been willing to take that and 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 take what's useful discard what isn't don't take it personally use it to build your craft and that's a that's a special skill as well like it needs to be developed over time that's not that's not everyone's first first moment <laughs> first reaction right you know, no usually I mean, it's I mean, tears <laughs> Of course. I mean, especially because it's so close to you, you know, when you write something, it's so close to you. But, but uh, do you think that I, I, I would imagine your experience as a dancer, as a singer, as a performer, as a, you know, as a martial artist, all of that critique helped build up the, okay, this is, as long as the person doing the critiquing is in, is looking out for me. This will help me grow. You are so right. Um, You cannot become a professional dancer without decades of critique 
I mean, that yeah. that's what a dance class is. <laughs> it's yeah. what a singing yeah. class is. I mean, I was trained for opera. It's, you know, hello. <laughs> you're, you're constantly wow. getting corrected and critiqued and pushed forward. And so I think you're very right. It trained me to look at this sort of feedback as being, you know, positive and, you know, exhilarating and pushing me toward my goal. So I've always looked at it in that way, you know, even and rejection. Oh my God, don't get me started on rejection. I mean, you know, as an actor or, you know, a performer of any kind, the goal is to go on enough auditions every week to finally get a job, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, that could be, I don't know, five rejections a week. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, this is a this is a daily occurrence. Of course you're going to get rejected. It's part of the path. It's part of the job. And so you just don't look at it the same way. I think when aspiring authors, they put in, you know, years of hard work and they, you know, their blood, sweat, tear, they, they come out with this precious baby and now they're going to hand it to somebody. And this is the first time they are ever going to be critiqued and possibly rejected. How could you not burst into tears and grab a bottle of wine? Right. right but, right. you know, my perception of that is so very different. I used to get very excited by rejections um, because they almost always came with at least one um, insightful sentence of feedback, mm-hmm. something that would make me go, ah, oh, epiphany. And yeah. um, most rejections that I've had have had a seed of something really valuable for me. Now, how long did it take you meeting Lily um, and writing that first book to it being published? Like, how was that journey for you? Hmm, Lily, meeting Lily. Okay, so I met her in when I was pausing from, right, I had a, a a book in submission, a book in progress, and I paused to write this short story. I knew it could be a novel, but I didn't have time, right? Because I thought I was doing these other things. Um, Probably six months after that, it was, uh, it appeared in Suspense Magazine's Best of 2014. So there we go, 2014. And I got the book deal in the fall of 2018, and The Ninja Daughter came out 2019, in the fall. And so that was that. And then um, probably to write the book, uh, finally, I, you know, I, I got this agent, and she was like, you have to stop, you know, pause what you're doing, give me a synopsis for, you know, a six-book series, and then write The Ninja book. And I was like, okay. So from, okay, yes, ma'am. So from, uh, yeah, I take direction very well. (laughs) Also the acting thing. Um, So I think from that point, it took about a year-ish, something like that. And then it was in submission. uh, And then at some point, I got this really valuable feedback from an editor friend. It, It wasn't right for their publishing house, but she had such great feedback that I asked if she would get on the phone with me and really dive into it. And God bless her, she did. 
And um, I, I rewrote it, tightened it up, put it back in submission, and that was mm-hmm. the version um, that got picked up. And when you, um, you know, did your proposal for your six book series, had you, how much book time is there in those six books? Well, interestingly enough, that wasn't for the Lily Wong series. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That was for the thing that I I thought I was writing at the time. And she just wanted to make sure that was all locked in my head before I went on the the ninja thing. There you go. Uh, I never did. Um. Uh, you know, like a, a projection for Lily Wong. Um, I, I, wrote, I wrote The Ninja Daughter. It was in submission, and I outlined and did a chapter-by-chapter chapter summary and wrote the first seven chapters of The Ninja's Blade. And then I set it aside. So at that point, mm-hmm. I had two novels in submission. I had follow-ups for both of those, outlined chapter-by-chapter chapter summary and partially written. And I had begun a fifth novel. Um, and so I, you know, I, I had this general idea of, you know, who Lily was and she's 25 and she's dealing with a lot of, um, emotional stuff and things to overcome because she feels Mm -hmm. responsible for her younger sisters, um, not responsible for her rape and murder, but um, guilty for not having been there for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. she's on this missions, but she's got the whole family has suffered trauma and she's 25, you know, which is a very mm-hmm. coming of age time in our lives yes. where we're trying to figure out how to be an adult, what that means yep. and how to be with our parents as adults, plus all this grief and trauma. So there was a lot of room for Lily to grow a lot, a lot, a lot of room. And, and so I, I didn't, you know, map it out. I still don't have it mapped out. I, I don't know how long the series will go on, I, you know. Um, so that's, that's kind of open-ended. Yeah, yeah. And do you, so you wrote um, Dance Among the Flames, rewrote, you know, got that in. Do you, can you work on two projects at the same time? Or do you focus on one and then move to the next? Or how does that work for you? Um, all right, because, because I outlined, uh, with such detail, um, and because I, I tend to do my research ahead of time, I can come back to a project years later and fall right into it, which I think is probably something a, a, a true pantser uh, would have a hard time doing because, you know, mm-hmm. my God, years later, what was I thinking? Where was I going? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, you kind of, you kind of lose it. But, you know, for me, it's all there. I just have to kind of reread through it all and go, oh yeah, yeah. All right. Cool. And, and it already has a voice. It has a way mm-hmm. of writing. Now, I, I find it very challenging to jump between two completely different things. Like I had to, I wrote a quarter of the fourth Lily Wong book and I put that aside to start this book that's based in Hawaii that was inspired by the missing on Kauai a short story. Um, I had to put one away to work on the other because it's immersive. I'm an immersive person. Mm-hmm. And because it has its own voice, the character has her own voice. Yeah. Um, that said, I can stop, um, I can uh, rewrite one novel, like for an editor, right? You know, 
while I'm writing a novel. So I can do that. And, and there have been times where I've actually been rewriting two different novels while writing a third novel. And none of them are in the same room. But that's, for me, a different kind of brain. Rewriting mm-hmm. is a different kind of brain than writing from scratch, which for me is mm-hmm. the hardest. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also uh, am hearing you say that you, throughout this entire journey um, towards publication and now, you just kept writing. You, you know, you'd write something else and you'd write a screenplay and you'd find another book and you didn't stop or, or put all your eggs in that one basket and say, well, this is the book and, and I'm going to just keep rewriting that book. You said, well, maybe this isn't the book. Let me try this one or let me be inspired here, um, which I think is another thing that is helpful for people to learn and to think about is, is you know, to be nimble and adjust. I think you're really right. And, you know, this may also have had a foundation uh, in performing. I remember when I was in New York and, you know, auditioning for Broadway musicals and stuff. And, you know, I'd I'd go to I'd go to an audition um, and then I'd go to a dance class, (laughs) you know, you know, and then I'd go to a singing class. I mean, all in one day, you just you just keep doing it. And the same thing, even when you have a job. Um, not, not when you're rehearsing, cause that really occupies all of your attention. But even when you have, uh, you know, eight shows a week in a Broadway musical, if, if you're in town, it doesn't work so well if you're out of town, but if you're in town, yeah, you're, you're also going to have singing lessons. You might have an acting class. Yeah. You might have a, you know, so you're continually working on your craft and doing the next thing. So I think that had, had a lot to do with it was, yeah, okay, submitted, but, you know, bye-bye, did that, you know, put a little note in my calendar maybe three weeks later to follow up, uh, three months later to follow up, you know, that kind of a thing. But other other than that, forget about it, moving on, doing the next thing. Because something I learned from screenwriting and from watching my husband and producing and watching writers who work with my husband or who he knows through producing – um, when you, the, the nice thing about being a writer is you build a library of work. So at some point you're going to get published, hopefully, right. Or produced, or you'll have something sold. And then, um, the powers that be suddenly want to know what you've done before. And lo and behold, you have a computer full of things you've done before. So nothing is wasted. It just suddenly becomes relevant and interesting. So I always kind of thought about that. You know, it didn't matter which came first. You know, Dance Among the Flames will be the fourth novel I've had published. But it actually began my whole writing journey. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been part of your life for a long time. Yeah, yeah. But truth yeah. be told, I, I needed um, maturity to mm-hmm. publish it. It's, um, oh, it's out there. It's, uh, it's dark and sexual and um, really deals with a lot of abuse and um, yeah. empowerment from uh, interesting angles. It puts me out there. 
You know, I mean, there are, there may be people who read this and go, oh my God, I thought she was such a nice person, but oh my goodness, who is this twisted human being? I don't know. You know, I mean, there was, I was like, oh, what are people going to think? You know, I mean, when I got that Publishers Weekly starred review, I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was so, I was so relieved. I was like, okay, okay. You know, maybe I won't get, you know, burned at the stake for writing this, writing this book and, and really putting it out there. But I think um, it was, you know, as you mentioned, it was such a huge, such a big thing to to bite off as a new aspiring writer. Mm -hmm. Um, But even just the promotional end of it, to be able to own it, um, really, I think I benefited from having been around, you know, at least a few books, you know, to have, have that, that publishing maturity and writing maturity yeah. to, to, to feel okay about it. You know? Yeah. It happens when it's meant to happen. Yeah. 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 And that's okay. Right. I think yeah. it's okay. I think we need to be okay with that. Yes. <laughs> it's a roller coaster too. It's not, it's not. And, and again, I mean, we, I worked in the admin side, but we Oof. both, spent time in theater. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a traditional career path in that there's a ladder that you just keep progressing up and down. You can be at the top and then all of a sudden the show closes and you're down below again and that you've got to buckle up and be ready for that. And publishing's like that. Um, you know, you can keep building, but a series gets canceled or something happens or a book doesn't do as well. And you gotta, you gotta figure it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your, your publisher yeah. folds, your publisher drops yeah. you, or, uh, you right. know, whatever. Th- your agent retires. I mean, yes, yeah. so many things. You know, I, so I find things. this in, in ninja training, too. You know, it's funny. I, I started out in um, Tongsudo, which is a, a sport karate. And with that, things are more straightforward, right? You know, especially because uh, you measure everything in sparring. There are rules. Yeah. It's like this. It's like that. It's very easy to teach. Ninja stuff, very difficult to teach. It's all very yeah. esoteric. It's all very in the moment, in the relationship, in the energy, mm-hmm. doing what's necessary. Oh, my God, it's, it's really hard to teach. Mm-hmm. But it's much more similar to writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I find that ability to adapt and stay fluid and stay open uh, to be really helpful, you know, especially when things get tense and anxious yeah. as they do. Yes. No, I mean, yes. Hmm. <laughs> um, I, right? I love oh the God. parallels you are, are drawing. Um, Tori, what's the best piece and the worst piece of writing advice you've ever gotten? Um, and what's your favorite piece of writing advice to give to folks? I mean, I feel like you've been doing that this whole podcast, but um, <laughs> But, you know, what do you wish people never said to another writer? Goodness. Uh, okay, so you're going to start with that worst, uh, the worst thing. You know, I was looking at that. Uh, I was thinking about that. And, uh, and people love to ask it, and I never have an answer for it. And, and I realize that the reason I never have an answer for that is kind of interesting. Um, I tend to receive whatever it is with this idea that somewhere hiding in what you've said is a gem. It may not be the gem you intended, 
It mm -hmm. may not be the way you expressed it, and it may not have anything to do with the specifics of how you thought it should be fixed. But somewhere in even the worst, most poorly delivered um, you know, advice, I assume that in there is a seed that's going to be useful to me. And so I search for it. And sometimes mm -hmm. I think perhaps I find something that was never even intended, but very valuable. And for that reason, there hasn't been anything I've heard that is stuck in my mind as, boy, that was really the worst advice ever, or something that floored me and just um, made me feel, you know, two inches tall, like I could never do anything. I, I've never had that experience. And, and I think much of that has to do with me on the receiving end. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I have no answer for that one. <laughs> I, I think it's your openness to, to taking criticism and using it too, that, that probably helps with that. Um, but yeah. yes. Yeah. Now yes. on the, on the positive side, oh my goodness, there have been so many, uh, David Morrell, he gave me uh, a piece of advice early on that was so helpful. He said, you need to read elements of style by William Strunk Jr. and E.B. White. And oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, did was that an education, an education in being able to communicate with lush economy, being able to truly understand commas and grammar, but being able to, to really write well. Um, that, mm -hmm. was, that was a tremendous advice for me. I remember um, Thomas F. Montelione, um, he, he once asked, whose story is this? Because mm -hmm. it was, you know, this big thing where there was a convergence of three very important characters. And there were a lot of ways of telling this. And at that time, I wrote it as a convergence of three equal characters and, and he went, yeah, but whose story is it? Mm. This was a precursor. One of the, I didn't just rewrite Dance Among the Flames. I re-envisioned it. I tried yes, it in different yes. points of view. I tried it yeah. in different structure. I tried it as this person's story, that person's story, a hero's story. A, you know, I mean, my gosh, so many different yeah. ways of telling this. And that particular version, he was like, whose story is this? And that sent me on, oh, it's this person's story try that. Oh, it's this person's try that. It, it wasn't until years later that I went, oh my gosh, it's Serafino Legario's story for crying out loud. <laughs> Once I realized that, I was like, okay, okay, I got this. I yeah, got this. Yeah. It's hers. I love that. So that, that was very important. Whose story is this? Yeah, especially if you're dealing with multiple points of view, <laughs> and 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 I love that you you kept you you love this world, but you kept figuring out how to tell people about the story about this world, and you were willing to reinvent and rethink. I, I that's brave. It was quite an education. That's really hard to do. Yeah, it was quite like, an education. And you know, I enjoyed the process. Here's here's the best advice I could give an uh, aspiring writer. Enjoy the process and try not to focus on the result. You, can, you can't yeah. really control the result anyway. 
Um, and and you're if you're fortunate enough to get a publishing deal, your experience may not even be what what you thought it would be or what you wanted yeah. it to be or, you know, whatever. It, try not to worry about that. Look at it as icing on a cake. If you can look at the process of writing as the thing that fulfills you and excites you, that's what you want to do. So you spend whatever amount of time you have doing it um, and you think, oh, that, what a great use of my time. Oh, that, that felt yeah. so great. That was so empowering. It was fulfilling. It was challenging. It was hard. I got through it, you know, whatever. But that process, if that can be your reward, then you're yeah. onto something. Because then you yeah. don't need all that external stuff to reward you. You don't need the publishing deal. You don't need the, the award nomination. You don't need the award win. You don't need the bestsellers list. You don't need the New York Times. You don't need any of that. You've already been rewarded because mm -hmm. you got to write. Yeah. Boy, that's wonderful advice. Wonderful advice. Well, I keep reminding um, myself too, because I forget. Yeah. I forget. Well, of course. No, I mean, this is, you're human and, and it's, it's, you know, it's a lot, but that's, a, it's important to get back to that, that, okay, why am I doing this? Because it gives me joy. And if it doesn't find out how it can give you joy again, because it's too hard to do otherwise. You know, and joy is an interesting word. Um, I am not always joyful when I'm writing. I do not always take joy in the act of writing. I got to tell you, sometimes it is grueling and anxious. Uh, I find myself biting my nails, um, not even because what I'm writing is suspenseful, but just because I'm that anxiety, full of tension while I'm writing sometimes, right? So I don't know. You know, it's like people say, oh, are you happy all the time? Uh, how about are, are you in the moment and... Uh, appreciating life? Are you being mm -hmm. mindful of the moment? Are you engaged in the moment? To me, that's, that's a better goal. Uh, and I think of that mm -hmm. in life, you know, uh, have I been engaged in the moments of my day? Um, if I'm looking at it that way, I can, I can feel so moved and inspired and, um, just overwhelmed um, by days sitting on my father's deathbed on, on, you know, helping the nurse, nurse give a catheter to my mother as she's dying in a hospital. Mm -hmm. the, these are not bad moments in my life. These are moments that are incredibly powerful, incredibly emotional. They're meaningful. I wouldn't trade them for the world, but they're not mm -hmm. joyful. They're not happy, mm -hmm. right? So I would, I would be wary of, of telling an aspiring author, it, if you're not finding joy in it, throw it away. Because I, I got to say, you know, um, try again, right? Because so, so little of my writing time am I actually finding, quote, joy. But if you can be fulfilled, if you can be engaged, if you can be challenged, challenge is a wonderful word. I love to be challenged. This is all valuable. This is part of life. Yeah. Thank you. That's a wonderful clarification. And, and, uh, and you're right. You're <laughs> absolutely right. 
You mentioned early in our conversation that when you started embarking on this journey, you joined associations and, and writing organizations. Um, so frequently we think of writing novels as such a solitary um, endeavor, but community makes all the difference. Can you talk about what community has done for you in your writing journey? Oh, goodness. Um, th this is the, the main advice I give to everybody, you know, find a community, find it fast, find it early. Uh, it's that important to me. And Sisters in Crime was wonderful. One of the first things I joined because I could. You let me. You let me in. <laughs> and I was like, awesome. <laughs> so I joined, you know, and, and that's wonderful. You know, you can't, you can't join um, uh, a science fiction fantasy, you know, association uh, unless you have a particular kind of publishing deal. They won't let you. You can join ITW mm -hmm. as an associate, but you'll have to pay. If you're an active mm -hmm. member with a publishing deal, you get in for free. You know, it, MD, M, MWA, um, I can't remember. Do they have an associate or do you have to have a they publishing do, deal? They do. I believe, no, I do. I, they believe they oh, have okay. an associate. Uh, yeah. I, I forget. Yeah. Horror writers, you can join that as an associate. You don't have to have a book deal. And, yeah. um, and of course, Sisters in Crime. And so, you know, when you, when you do that, you become part of the conversation, you, um, I've been able to, to engage with other authors and learn from them and support them, uh, because that happens long before, in many cases, they're able to support you. And a lot of mm -hmm. aspiring authors do not, aspiring writers do not realize that. Yes. You can become part of a community, not by taking, but by giving. And yes. when you do, you, you get and you learn. For instance, um, you start to meet other, you know, published authors in, in your association and you start to promote them on their panels and their book events and you go to their book events and attend them and you learn things, right? You learn things and you learn about new platforms and you learn how to present and you expand your awareness and you meet other mm -hmm. authors that lead you to other platforms and other ways of presenting and other pieces of information and other, you know, gems about you know, the business and the craft and all this kind of stuff. And it snowballs into all of this and it all begins by giving. Uh, you know, another life lesson, right? And um, and that to me was a is a marvel, just a marvel. Yeah. Yes. You. What a wonderful uh, another wonderful piece of advice. But it's so true. One, when you do that and you show up and you support other writers, when it is your turn, they're there for you. You've already built got your community built in. So you, it's not just strategic that you need to think. I mean, this needs to be genuine, but it's also, um, it's a great way to start. You're exactly right. A great way to join a community is by supporting it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's a couple, it's a couple of things, you know, it's kind of like karma, right? Literary karma. <laughs> um, you don't always get back what you give or from whom you gave it to, right? right? That, that, that's the same right. thing in life, right? Paying it yes. forward or, you know, what we do. But 
when you make it part of your life to give, um, that energy tends to come back from somewhere. Could be a completely different place, different person, different way. You know, so there's that, you know, earning those, you know, good literary uh, community uh, credits, so to speak. But there's that reward in and of itself, you know, as I mentioned before, that by supporting somebody, you, you feel more empowered in yourself. Mm-hmm. You feel like you have more agency. You feel more connected by mm-hmm. supporting somebody else. And in supporting somebody, especially when you attend things, you gain information about all manner of things. So it's just, you know, win, 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 win all over the place. Yeah, no, it's a wonderful way of looking at it and of being. Um, so uh, what what are you working on now? And we know that uh, Dance Among the Flames is coming out at the end of May 2022 as we're recording this. Um, but what are you working on now? What's next? Ah, well, as I, as I mentioned, I was writing the fourth Lily Wong book. And I got a quarter through that, and ooh, it's exciting. I really, really loved it. <laughs> but I, I needed to set it aside because I wrote this short story, uh, Missing on Kauai, and it comes out April 19, 2022, and Crime Hits Home. And it opened up a whole Hawaiian homeland uh, ohana, mm. this, this family for Makalani Pahukula, and this whole mystery and this whole adventure and this this whole thing and and I just just like oh my gosh um my agent and I were like you need to write this and you need to write it now and and so you know at first I thought oh I'm gonna have to write this one first and then when I'm done with that I'll write this and then I went no no I need to write this now Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's what I've been doing and I gotta tell you it is so enriching because I've never, written anything that draws from my native Hawaiian heritage. Uh, Mm -hmm. In fact, I've been um, a little scared to do it. I've been many, many years away from living in Hawaii. Uh, I moved away when I graduated from Punahou in, you know, high school. I've been, I'm 60. I've been away a long time um, from actually living there. And so I was like, wow, can I do this justice? Because being a native Hawaiian, I can't just write a mystery set in Hawaii and, right. and you know, do, you know, hit on some topics, hit on some cool local stuff, you know, connect with some things that, are, you know, that's not going to be enough, not, not coming from me. And so that's my feeling, my feeling, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, about oh, being yes. native Hawaiian, writing about Hawaii, yeah. you're going to expect something different from me. And the only thing that's going to be, inspiring is for me to dig deep. And mm-hmm. so um, I have been digging deep and, whoa, so enriched. I, I connected with a friend of mine from Hawaii, from, from Punahou School, and, um, oh, what a wealth of knowledge. Uh, she ended up marrying the, the king of Tahiti. How interesting. Anyway, you know, what a, what a, a thing of knowledge there and, and connecting with my family. I can trace back my mm-hmm. Hawaiian roots to, I think it's uh, 1708. Um, wow. I've got a family tree that goes, you know, back there. 
you know, tons of things. And then my sister has been diving into the whole Malika'i, um, you know, community with her painting. And I started learning Olelo Hawaii, um, the Hawaiian language. Now, I used to sing and uh, dance to it. So um, I had a certain amount of knowledge um, mm-hmm. and key words, but I didn't understand how to speak it. I still don't, but I'm I'm just starting to to learn a little bit because we're revitalizing that. We're trying to bring that back. We're trying to make, yes. you know, actually speaking Hawaiian um, with people in schools a thing, you know, bringing mm-hmm. that back and trying to restore some of the sovereignty. And so, whoa, can you tell I'm a little bit excited about this? Just a <laughs> tiny, tiny bit. So, yeah, I'm on like, you know, I don't know, 37,000 words into this and super excited about it. Now, is it present day? Is oh, yeah. It, is, okay. Yeah. And for, are, first person again or is it third no. how, how's that going? No, this one felt like it needed to be a close third person. Close the majority third. of it is through Makalani, uh, her uh, point of view, but not all of it. There are a few things that are from other points of view. It's very family oriented, uh, very culturally oriented, um, and it really weaves in a lot of not just Hawaiian heritage, but history, custom, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And the issues that are going on right now, especially with Hawaiian homelands. Yeah. I love that you're telling this story because you are uh, able to tell it uh, in a way that other people can't, uh, you know, that, that, you know, it's not just a novel set in Hawaii. It's actually got a perspective and a point of view and, and uh, more awareness that I think readers are going to love because, you know, it's wonderful to, to sort of uh, see the world through a new lens and to, to learn, learn about a culture that you think you know about, but you don't know it from that particular point of view. I appreciate that. There have been hugely uh, popular um, books by Native Hawaiians um, about, you know, stories in Hawaii, but a lot of them uh, are historical fiction, and a lot Mm -hmm. of them uh, involve uh, fantasy and mythology, um, things of that nature. But I personally haven't found any that dive to this depth uh, in my culture in the mystery thriller genre. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do. That's exciting. Yeah. And and again, it's, uh, it is already enriching and rewarding my life. So it could go nowhere and it would still be (laughs) worth it. Right. You know, that's, that's, that's how I keep going. Yeah. Well, that's a wonderful way to uh, to end this fabulous conversation that could keep going forever. But <laughs> um, but you know, having your real work enrich and, and be its own reward is is a, a gift. Um, it's a gift to give all of us to think about as we're doing our work. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, mahalo nui lo. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. 
Sisters in Crime is an international inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Thank you.